Welcome back to the Yellow Box Podcast. This week, we are joined by our teaching pastor, Ian Simpkins, as we conclude our series, Open. For more information, please visit us at www.communitychristian.org. And remember, you can always find us on Sundays at the Yellow Box at 9.30 a.m., 11.15 a.m., and 5 p.m. And now also on Monday nights at 6.30 p.m. We hope to see you there. Well, good morning, community. How are you feeling this morning? Feeling good? Special welcome if you're joining us digitally. Uh, anyone rained on coming in? So you got a little extra baptism, so it's going to be an extra holy service today. So uh, brace yourself. Um, I'm curious, though. How many of you have heard somebody begin a sentence with something like, God told me or God said something, God told me? Anyone heard someone say something like that? Yeah, okay. So in some cases, it's a really great like, word of encouragement. And it was really meaningful, and it felt like it came straight from God. In other cases, though, perhaps... We've seen people use this phrase for not so good reasons. Like one of the, one of the best examples I can think of is uh, particularly like in youth groups where boys who typically want to be with a girl who's way out of their league, some of you are ahead of me, um, will say something like, you know, uh, God told me that we're supposed to date. And hopefully the girls are like, well, God didn't tell me, so keep on a walk in, right? Like... Now, the one caveat, though, and I don't know if we've ever talked about this here, is that um, I met my wife while pastoring a church. She came to our church, so that move worked out pretty good for me. Uh, <laughs> please don't tell her I said that. Um, but the whole thing that we've been talking about for the last few weeks is that God speaks to us, that through his Holy Spirit, he nudges and prompts and moves throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I would argue, since the beginning of time, God has been speaking. So the question that we've been wrestling with is, are we open? What's lacking is not God's presence. What's often lacking is our awareness. And so the question that we've been kind of wrestling with is, are we actually open? It's one thing to sit in a space together and kind of nod and say, yeah, I am. But it's different entirely to actually be open. So when Jesus ascended, he sent his Holy Spirit to dwell within every Christ follower. So not just out there somewhere, and not even just close by, but to dwell within us. Jesus specifically says, I'm leaving, but I'm sending not just a nebulous force or some sort of ethereal idea, but the personal presence of God to dwell within, to set up shop, to tabernacle, to move into the neighborhood in the heart and life of every Christ follower. That's the reality, that God wants to do something in us and also something through us. In us, like the Alka-Seltzer from last week, and through us, like the work gloves from two weeks ago. And if you're just joining us and you're wondering if I'm crazy, I swear I'm not, go back and watch those last two talks. Because God not only wants to do something in us for the sake of transforming us, but what I want to talk about today is that God also wants to do something through us, that the whole point isn't just for us to feel good about the Spirit of God dwelling within us, but to empower us to actually live differently. So the question more specifically that I want to really grapple with today is, what would that look like? What would that look like to really, actually, truly be open to the Spirit of God in our lives, to not only transform us internally, but to empower us to make a difference in the world? One of the things we've been saying is that Jesus wasn't is the most open to the spirit that ever existed. Jesus, both fully God 
and fully man. And often I think we kind of get the fully God part, but struggle to really understand Jesus' full humanity, full humanness. Fully God, fully man, but was the most open to the Spirit there ever was. In fact, uh, his earthly ministry begins this way. It says, after his baptism, Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. That idea of dwelling, of tabernacling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. So this is like, this is like the inauguration. This is the beginning of his earthly ministry. And the spirit literally descends on him like a dove. Luke, who is both a doctor and a historian, records some of those first words of his earthly ministry. It's Jesus actually quoting the prophet Isaiah. Said this, this is Jesus speaking. The spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free. So Jesus, very early in his ministry, understands not only am I able to do these things because of the Spirit, that's part of what the indwelling was always intended to do. Not not just for our own benefit, but for the benefit of the world. So he's saying, he's recognizing the Spirit of God is on me, is dwelling within me. And the point of that is to do these things. Jesus understood that he was able to do what he did because of the power of the Holy Spirit. So so the obvious question maybe is, okay, so what all all did the Spirit actually empower Jesus to do? Well, I want to look at a a story in Mark chapter 2 to kind of answer that a little bit. In Mark chapter 2, here's how it opens up. It says, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, which was sort of like his adopted hometown, uh, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large, large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. So he's, he's starting to gain some reputation, and he comes home, and the word spreads fast. There's no Facebook, there's no Twitter, thank the Lord, but the word spreads quickly, and people can't get there fast enough. Now, just to be clear, like a, like a first century home would not have looked like this room, okay? But it likely would have been able to hold something like 30, 35 people, and the text tells us that it's packed. Like people can't get there fast enough. They're literally like waiting around outside looking at windows, and Jesus is preaching the word to them. Now here's how the next verse reads. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Carried by four of them. Now, we don't know how far they're coming from, but what I do know is that they know about Jesus. And they don't have all of their theological ducks in a row. What they know is we have a friend. He's in need. We got to get him to Jesus. Which, as an aside, do, do we have that kind of fervor for our friends? Like, I don't, I don't have all the answers, but I, I got to get my friend to Jesus. Like, shouldn't that be the passion of our heart? To not have every point of doctrine always figured out. And I'm pro-doctrine. I'm pro-theology. I love that stuff. But to say, man, I I don't have all the answers, but I I just have to get you to Jesus. We know that they had to travel at least to some degree. And again, this this is just conjecture. But I want you to actually go there visually for a second. They're carrying their buddy who they they can't even like, they're literally carrying him on a mat. And I imagine it's not like nicely paved roads. It's like through bazaars and villages, up and down streets and steps. They're carrying their friend because they got to get their friend to Jesus. Now, 
I know that this part's easy to kind of blaze past, but here's what I want you to get. Um, my guess is that his, his mat was probably not like a yoga mat. Pro- probably not. I don't think this guy was like, Jesus, teach me downward dog. I don't think that's... <laughs> Please don't tweet that. Um... <laughs> but I want you to get this visual. Because this guy isn't just laying on this mat. He lives on this mat. This, this rectangle is his existence. Whatever he's able to beg for in any given day, that's what he's got. And again, the text doesn't tell us this is conjecture. But I wonder, day in and day out, with that being his whole existence, when that man went to sleep, what did he dream of? Did he dream of having a wife? Of dancing with her? Of running, of picking up his kids? Only every day to be reminded of the fact that that will never be his reality. And we don't know anything about the friends either. We know that they see his need, they hear that Jesus is in town, and they say, we don't know what it's going to look like, but we got to get you to Jesus. So they carry him through the streets, and they come to this house. Now, before we go any further, I think it's worth saying that sometimes we disconnect from this character if this isn't our physical reality. But can we, can we all be honest together? We all have a mat right? We all have a mat. Maybe your physical legs work fine, but many of us were crippled by fear, or we're buried in our financial worry, or we have some sort of addiction, or some sort of thing that maybe we've never even told a single soul. We all have a mat, a thing that keeps us immobile, a thing that keeps us in place. Every single one of us has a mat. What is that mat for you? What's that thing that you can't stop thinking about that, that keeps you in the shadows, that keeps you from taking a step in the right direction? So these friends uh, bring him to Jesus, and here's what happens in the next verse, verse 4. So since they couldn't get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof. Let's not skip that part, okay? Because that's hysterical. They made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat that the man was lying on. Again, because this is the Bible, it's easy for us to like miss some of the comedy of this. But imagine, okay, so Jesus is teaching. We know that much, right? The crowd's gathered. So he's giving like a, like a holy TED talk, right? And people are like listening intently. And then all of a sudden, like plaster starts falling from the ceiling. Like rude much? Like that's a little bit, right? That would be a little, I wonder what Jesus is thinking. I wonder if like the homeowner is in the back and he's like, I don't think insurance is going to cover this. I don't... <laughs> Like, put yourself in that room. What are you thinking in this moment? Like, what's, what do you guys know? That's not why we're here. That's not what this is for. So they, like, pull open the roof, and uh, they lower the guy, and it says that they lower him right in front of Jesus. So he's like, so now the guy's center stage, right? Everyone came to hear Jesus, and now this whole other thing is center stage, which makes me wonder, would we even be open to God interrupting our plans if he wanted to. I think a lot of us have really good plans with great intentions. Would we be open to a dismantling of the roof of sorts if God wanted to do something different in our schedules, in our marriages, in our families, with our time, with our resources? I'll be honest, often the answer for me is no thank you. Nope, I have the schedule for a reason. I have this plan for a reason. I wonder sometimes if God isn't trying to break through and do something new. I love, I don't know which of the four friends thought this, but they came to the house, saw that it was full. I imagine maybe the, the architecture in the group was like, I got an idea. 
and they go through the roof. So this man now is lying before Jesus on his mat. And here's what happens in verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. That's a strange response, isn't it? Again, this is conjecture. But I wonder if this guy, after going through all of that, he's finally lowered before Jesus. His need so obvious. The whole room falls quiet. He's at the feet of Jesus, and Jesus goes, I think I, need, I, think I know what you need. Your, son, your sins are forgiven. I wonder if the guy was thinking, uh, thanks, but that's not why I'm here. Like maybe his friends on the roof overheard and they're like, what did he just say? His sins are forgiven? No, we didn't come for him to have an invisible thing healed. We came for him to have a very visible thing healed. His need is so obvious in this moment. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. I would guess that this man's thought is, if I could just get my legs back, then everything would be fine. And here's what hit me like a ton of bricks this week. We all have that thing that we're telling ourselves, if I could just have that, then I'd be complete. Then I'd be whole. Then, Then I'd have security. Then I'd have identity. Then I'd have purpose. One of the greatest lies ever told is that we are just one success away from true happiness. If I could just get this, I don't know if that's a relationship or a dollar amount or a neighborhood or an accomplishment. All of us have believed that, that at some point, that if I could just get this one thing, this, this guy is saying, Jesus, if, if I could just get this one thing taken care of, this is my biggest need And Jesus says, I couldn't disagree more. Now, spoiler alert, Jesus does actually also heal his legs. He does restore him physically. God is not unconcerned with our physical healing. I think he's actually very concerned with it. But what he's saying so beautifully is that a right relationship with God is paramount. There is nothing in your life of greater value than a right relationship with God. Jesus isn't only making a messianic claim here. He's saying, this is your greatest need. No amount of physical healing or financial healing or relational healing is greater than a right relationship and posture with the God who made us and loves us. That's what Jesus is communicating in this moment. So Jesus, completely open to the Holy Spirit, meets this man's invisible need when he first came for the visible need. Perhaps we could say it this way. Jesus is fully empowered for mission. Saying your sins are forgiven is what? That's finding a way back to God. That's what we're all empowered for. To help people find their way back to God. He's inviting him into relationship. Do you know that the same spirit that empowered Jesus empowers us? That's the scandal of the whole thing. Same spirit, same power, we have access. And that power will lead us in big ways and small ways all the time to help people find their way back to God. But it starts by responding. It starts by leaning in, not away. And, and can I be really honest? This is, I'm not proud of this. 
this kind of leading can sometimes feel really risky. It can feel really uncomfortable. And sometimes the thought is that like, oh, pastors are probably really great at this. And probably most are. I'm not. I can't tell you how many times like I've been on a plane ride and the person next to me says, oh, what do you do? And I go, I work with people. <laughs> I'm not proud of that. But what is that? In that moment, it's like this insecurity that like, I don't want to weird them out. And I don't, maybe I'm just tired. I don't know what it is. But even given those opportunities, man, what an open door that could have been that I instead shied away from. God, I believe, is empowering us through his Holy Spirit for mission to help people, all people, find their way back to God. Secondly, though, Jesus is also empowered for miracles. After he makes this statement to the paralyzed guy about his sins being forgiven, the religious elite in the room are furious. They're appalled. And here's what happens. He says, which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk? But I want you to know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up. Take up your mat and go home. He got up. What's the word say? Oh, man. I love that that's included. He got up immediately, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. Now, I'm not going to model that because I'm not totally convinced I could get up immediately right now. But picture that. He's having this exchange now, and Jesus says, I mean, I could do both, but all right, man, take your mat. And the guy goes, what? Springs to his feet, like rolls up the mat, just probably looking at everyone in the room, stunned. He's like, this is crazy. This is crazy. Can you? All right, see you guys. And then he leaves. That's the whole scene. He says, tell him, hey, pack it up. You're done. And this man, we don't know how long he's been paralyzed for, literally picks up his mat in front of everybody who was there to hear a lecture and walks out the room. Fully healed, fully restored. We're empowered for those same types of miracles. Here's what I think we often miss. We tell stories and rejoice that Jesus did those things way back then and we never really fully see ourselves in the narrative. That same spirit empowering us right here and now to change the world. John, who is one of Jesus' closest friends, he wrote it this way. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He says, very truly, not just truly, he's like, I'm gonna add some extra stank on this. Very truly, I tell you, pay attention. Whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing and they will do, what's it say? Even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. He's saying, I'm going to the Father. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. You're not going to do like a shadow or a whisper of these things. Not only are you going to do them, you're going to do even greater things. He has the confidence to say that because the same Spirit that enabled him to do them, he's sending to us. Who isn't just near us, who doesn't just have a hotline, but dwells within us. What would happen in our world if we truly believed that? If we really were open to that kind of power in the world? If we actually took Jesus at his word and didn't explain it away, he's being hyperbolic, or he's making a point, he just knows they're scared. No, no. I think he actually means even greater things. Even greater things in the world. Couldn't our world use some of that kind of life-changing, restorative power? I look around me and I see heartache. I see pain. I see 
the argument's getting louder and louder and the arrow's getting thrown further and further. I wonder what it would look like to actually take Jesus at his word. You could do greater things, not, not because of who you are, because of you're so great, because the Spirit of God dwells within you. After his death, his resurrection, his ascension, the Holy Spirit is poured out in power. What kind of power? Here are a couple of examples. The power to cast out demons, to cure diseases, to conquer sin, to defeat spiritual death, to speak other languages, and to break down walls. Could anyone stand to see some of that power in your life, in your families, in your communities? I love preaching. I love what we do. I love it. But what the world ultimately doesn't need is one more sermon or one more idea or one more tweet. It needs the power of God in their life. And God is saying to us through Jesus, he's not just near you, he resides in you. I know that this is tough to grapple with for a lot of reasons, right? Because it's, maybe we're not familiar with it, it seems foreign. But if Jesus said even greater things, what might we be missing by not being open? Scott McKnight, who wrote a book uh, called Open to the Spirit, we took a lot of the concepts from the series from his book, and here's, here's what he says. He says, if you are genuinely open to the Spirit, you will learn that you're open to a power unlike anything you've ever known. Many of us need to ponder why we're not more open to this kind of power. There is no reason to remain closed to it because the Bible speaks often of the Spirit-prompted power and promises it to us. I'll be really honest, I I struggle to believe that at times. But in my most open, when I can actually loosen my white knuckle grip of always being in control, man, God can do some incredible things in and through us. So what might God want to do? The Apostle Paul, he wrote a letter to the church in Ephesus, and I, I think this encapsulates it beautifully. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. He's saying here, there's some things that your physical eyes just can't see. I pray that this would be unlocked a little bit, that it would sense something different in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. Paul's asking the church in Ephesus, what's the craziest thing you've ever seen? What's the craziest demonstration of power you've ever experienced? And they're saying, I mean, probably the resurrection. And he goes, yeah, same power. Same power. That same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to each of us. And the question is, are we open? Are we open? Now, in Mark chapter 2, verse 5, there's a piece that I skipped over Because it says, when Jesus saw whose faith? Who's the there? It's the ceiling guys. It's the friends, right? Not the guy in front of him. When he saw their faith, that's what moved him to action. You may be in a season right now where you need to lean on and depend on the faith of this community. I mean, look around us. Honestly, look around right now where you're at. Look at the faces of the people gathered. This is why we do this together. We're in this Together, And when we believe sometimes for each other, it raises the collective water level of our faith. We are in this together. That's why we're always talking about small groups because we were never intended to do this thing on our own. And sometimes we need someone to believe for us. When the bottom drops out and you can see no way out, sometimes don't we need people to look us right in the eye and say, you're not alone. I'm not giving up on you and neither is God. 
I believe God wants to do something in and through you. Hang on. I'm with you. I'm by your side. He's not done with us yet. We do this thing together. So how, how can we be open? How can we be open to the Spirit? Here are just a couple of ideas. One, just be willing to be willing. It's not about having all your theological ducks in a row. It really isn't. And again, I'm pro-theology. I'm pro-doctrine. Just be willing to be willing to the possibility that God actually wants to move through you. To be imaginative. What if our conversations actually sounded more like this? What would happen if God showed up in this way? What would happen if he really, truly did this thing? What would, ha- what would happen if our language began to reflect that sort of imaginative posture? Wouldn't that be crazy if God did this? If he showed up, if he healed this person? Wouldn't that be nuts? What if, what if our conversation was peppered with that kind of imagination? Number three, be persistent. Be persistent. It is so easy to get discouraged. I, I know this firsthand. Don't give up. Stay determined. Keep asking. Keep being open. And lastly, be available. Be available. Le- lean in, not away. And, and sometimes being available will mean these like big, grandiose things, but, but so often I think it means something much more easily overlooked. And maybe being available looks a little something like this. Hey everyone, as you can tell, I'm at work. I just had to pull over and share something real quick. Um, As I'm delivering, uh, I pull up to this house. The lady walks out because she's checking her her mailbox for her newspaper. And I have two boxes for her, so we start walking up the driveway together. And she asked me if I had a happy holidays. And I was telling her how busy it was. I told her I had a a really great uh, Christmas and New Year's. And I I asked her the same. I was like, how was your holidays? And with tears in her eyes, she said, it wasn't good. And um, she said, he's sick. My husband's sick. He has cancer. I continued a small talk to try to change the subject because that's awkward. And uh, I deliver her package. She said, what's your name? I said, Amanda. And she told me her name. I drove off. Um, My heart's pounding. I do probably 20 more stops, and I have to go back. Um, you know, with this kind of job, we're on a, a tight schedule. Um, quicker you do it, the better. Quicker you get home. I stopped what I was doing. I went back to that neighborhood and rang her doorbell and uh, asked her. She came down the stairs, and uh, she had tears in her eyes. When she saw it was me, she smiled, and I said, Ma'am, can I pray with you? And she just broke down. She came out on the front porch and squeezed me so tight. Um, This lady I've never met. She held my hand so tight and I prayed for her and her family and for her husband. And the point of this is, is a lot of people want the Lord to use them. And, And for me as an example, I pray every day for the Lord to use me. But when he's, he's trying to use you or when you feel that call and that, that tug on your heartstrings, do you move your feet? Do you move? Because I easily could have just went, I have a hundred stops. I easily could have just went about the rest of my day thinking about it. So when you feel those tugs on your, on your heartstrings and you feel like you need to do this, stop and do it. When I first saw that video, I just kind of, I kind of cried like a baby. 
Because of how many times I've felt that nudge and just sort of silenced it. Whether it's because my schedule was packed too tight or I was just uncomfortable. What would happen if we actually took Jesus at his word? That God actually wants to do even greater things in and through us. Are we open? There's one verse at the very end of the story, actually, that I didn't share yet. It says, after this guy rolls up his mat and walks out of the room, here's what it reads, this amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. That, I believe, is what God wants to do in and through us. The same spirit of God wants to do stuff in us that people watching saying, I don't, I don't know what you're all about or even what this is, but I have never seen anything like this. It starts with saying, God, I'm open. I don't know where that's going to lead or even how you're going to lead, but I'm going to trust that you will. God, would you move in and through us? Help us to put one foot in front of the next to help more and more people find their way back to God. Would you pray with me, please? God, I am so grateful that you never leave us, you never forsake us, even when we may feel like that's the case. So whether our faith is on top of the mountain right now or in the pit of the valley, would you remind us of your presence not just around us but within us? May we be a people, a family that come alongside one another. And God, help us to be open. May today, for some of us, be the beginning of a journey of being open. Not for our own glory, our own fame, but to point more and more people to you, God. To amaze people with your love and your grace and your mercy. And we thank you, God, for that. And we pray all this in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen.